0: Welcome to the HR Empowerment Podcast, where we will uncover strategies and new insights from HR professionals who discuss up-to-date regulations, best practices, and the most pressing topics like diversity and equity, leadership, dealing with difficult situations, and much more that affect your bottom line and business. Thanks for joining us.
1: Everybody, welcome back. It's Wendy Sellers and
0: JC. Hi everyone. You know, convenient and affordable training isn't easy to come by, but it's our pleasure to do it for you in a podcast. I'll tell you that.
1: Absolutely. I I love these conversations. They're real conversations that are happening every day out there. Um, you know, and then actual training can follow this up. You just need to figure out whoever our listeners are. If you're an employee, if you're a manager, if you're a C-suite, if you're a business owner, you need to figure out what level training is needed throughout the organization. And I got to tell you, it's, it's a lot is needed because for decades now we've been kicking the ball down the court to say, we'll train our managers tomorrow. We'll train our managers tomorrow. And then we're upset when they don't know how to handle employee situations, but um, they don't know the law or they don't, they don't know the situation because they've never been placed in it.
0: You know, thinking back on the pandemic, It did worsen people's health, but executives don't realize how much their employees were struggling, or maybe are still struggling. And it's well known that the pandemic had a negative impact on our collective mental as well as physical health. Well-being may now be at an all-time low among both the C-suite and rank and file employees. And according to some recent research, more than three quarters of the C-suite, 76%, said that the pandemic has negatively affected their well-being too. And fewer than two out of three employees rated various dimensions of their health as excellent or good. That came from a recent uh, piece by Deloitte, Wendy.
1: Yeah, Deloitte has some really great uh, uh, surveys out there and great information that, you know, the us, a small people over here, wouldn't have access to that, all that information of just surveying a couple people in our, in our own companies. But it is... Um, I'm not surprised, um, kind of disgusted a little bit, but I am not at all surprised that uh, all these people are saying that their health has been affected their well-being since the pandemic I'm I'm surprised and I'm not surprised though that it's that much level of c-suite because people think, oh the c-suite, they're unbreakable, they're the ones that are causing all these problems and, and they might be, but it might be the stockholders. Or, is who they report to yeah. um, or if they work for the government like folks that we know it's, it's us you know the, the citizens and then the you know the residents of the united states that are demanding more so even your boss may want to quit even your boss is burnt out that doesn't give you an excuse to say i don't want to stress my boss out and talk about this um they may not know that you're as stressed as them because they are so stressed. So, the reason I'm saying this is sometimes we think our managers are ignoring us, but they may actually be hiding their own faults and their own, um, their, their own lack of boundaries, and they're crumbling as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 68% of employees, according to this Deloitte piece, and 81% of the C suite say that improving their well being is more important than advancing their career. That's a big number,
1: 81%. I personally know in my group of friends, uh, during the pandemic, but specifically in the past, let's say 12 months, I personally know my group of friends that have taken a step back in their very successful careers Instead, they had a choice to go to the next level or leave that company and go backwards, which means financially as well, and I know quite a few that said, I'm done, I'm burnt out. I want to manage things. I don't want to manage people or the opposite. I want to manage people. I don't want to manage things. I, you know, give me a break. I need to, I need a time out here. And I checked in with one friend recently this weekend actually. Yeah. And while that person misses the, um, the excitement and you know, the, the energy that, get, that gets them excited to do their job. They do not miss the stress whatsoever. So I reminded them, just remember this conversation when they come back You know, begging for you to come back that you left for a reason and unless they majorly change their culture, I don't care about the pay at this point, but unless they majorly change their culture, then if you go back, you're gonna have a mental breakdown.
0: It's really hard to make a massive life adjustment like that and then to have to reconcile on things like, you know, the Pinot Noir is going to be from a box instead of a bottle, you know? <laughs> I'm, but kidding. Maybe, I'm kidding.
1: But maybe you don't eat as much now that you're not stressed Ooh, out, right? Good point. Excellent point.
0: <laughs> and to that, it all comes down to, to health and well-being at the end of the day. You know, a health-savvy executive appreciates that decisions relating to well-being can have a significant impact on the culture of an organization the way in which work gets done and the people in places beyond the organization's four walls is really important to be health savvy to a point when you say.
1: Absolutely. And going back to, you know, your, your managers, um, might not, they might be feeling the same way as you, that survey that you mentioned from Deloitte says that, um, 91% of the C-suite Saw themselves as caring leaders, but just 56% of the workers thought of their bosses as that. And so, again, bosses that are on the on the line today, grab that mirror. You may in your head say, "I care about them," but you haven't actually shown that. How do you show that? Uh, first thing I would say, you know, we already talked about setting boundaries, helping the employees set boundaries. So. Uh, whether it's the employee or HR or you that's listening, saying let's outline what your job duties are and what the expectations are. Let's dust off or create policies and practices to keep everybody within boundaries. But I don't know, how about we mandate and train managers to give feedback all the time.
0: Genuine feedback.
1: Effective feedback. Ooh, right? I love it, yeah it's like yeah it should be genuine should be effective good job what does that mean what does that mean it means it was good Good
0: it was really good
1: (laughs) what what does that mean it meant good good (laughs) yeah it mean it's gonna mean something different for you know i might just need the thumbs up great job today see you later and I'm good to go where somebody else needs, no, I need a full blown 15 minute conversation. I want you to outline what I didn't do right, yeah. and then give me advice of what I did do right. So the only way you're gonna know that is to actually communicate with every single one of your employees on a regular basis. And JC, this, gives, this puts a lot of stress on managers because unless we're removing some responsibilities from our managers in order to give more feedback to their employees, you're end up gonna be in a in a cycle again where maybe the manager is saying, Okay, I'm helping my employees set boundaries, but now I'm overwhelmed and I'm out of here. Fit like physically or just mentally out of here. And that means that whole team of employees has to start over with the new manager now.
0: Let's talk about that. Let's pin in on a on another statistic from the same piece here that plays directly on that. It says seventy-three percent of the C suite. Say that they're transparent about their well-being, but only 22% of employees agree. Perceptions are reality at the end of the day, right?
1: They really are. That's that's actually a fascinating statistic. There, I could see it. I could see it in my head. And you know, I, I um, when I do this training on emotional intelligence and empathy, we talk about um, this old image that was on LinkedIn. Um, It wasn't for me. I just use it all the time. And it shows a graph of where you're from a supervisor all the way to like an owner of a company and what your emotional intelligence is. And it's really down to empathy um, and that as you go up the food chain in corporate America, so to speak, that your emotional intelligence slash empathy actually declines. And I think this is all connected in here because the reason is, is because they're further away from communicating with employees on a regular basis. So those C-suite people that you mentioned that said, yeah, I'm pretty open about my mental health. They're probably only open to other C-suite members.
0: Right, right. Because they might not be exposed. They might not be in those circles anymore. They feel that they are, but they're not.
1: Yeah, they're like, I talked about it today. Yeah, you talked about it with the other C-suite member, but you didn't openly share it with the directors, the managers, or the employees that you're also stressed out. And, and and let me just stop here real quick by saying, just because you're sharing with your employees that you're also stressed out, doesn't mean it is okay for you or the employee to continue to be stressed out. You know, sometimes bad leaders use that as a, well, we're all in this together. Well, we can only all be in this together for so long until the employee says, I'm not gonna quiet quit, I'm actually quitting. Um, So we have to make sure that as C-suite, the further away from the front line, you need to be walking the room and getting getting the visuals and letting people know that you're there to help. And that, yes, I truly mean it. Clock out at four o'clock today and go home and take tomorrow off or work from home tomorrow. And I only expect you to be online for like two hours. You need the day off and I support it and I mean it and I got your back.
0: And be vulnerable, be vulnerable. Like she's saying, share, share of yourself. Being vulnerable as a leader, it does involve a change, a shift in your mindset, something that will enable you to see through the eyes of the people that you lead. And when you do so, you're going to very simply open the doors to them to become the drivers of the conversation at that point. And ultimately the result is that those employees are going to become more involved and invested and believe in you more, because now you've built that connection in an effective and genuine way. And all it does is take a brief moment to be vulnerable. And being vulnerable and and sharing of yourself in a transparent way like this, it doesn't mean that you're coming out and going to cry out all your 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 worst things to everybody, right, Wendy? I mean, it's it's it, being vulnerable is is different than a stigma of days old gone by, right?
1: It's practically a requirement now to be a leader, whether you are an official leader in title or you just say, hey, I don't care what my title is. I'm going to go help people. Um, Being open, being transparent, um, throwing some of your cards out on the table and being emotional and let people know that I'm struggling, too, is huge. And I'll tell you, JC. I've always had a really hard time with this because I'm so stubborn. I'm so proud. No, I'm so no, not me. Well, I (laughs) I think it
0: depends on the circles and how people interpret you, because even though you may come off that way to some, I've never found you to be that way personally.
1: Well, thank you. And I think it's, um, I I would like to say it's something that I truly have worked on um, pre pandemic, but definitely I would say, uh, I know exactly when it when it hit, something personal in my life was going on, but I would say probably about six, seven years ago is when I really said, you know what? I have to stop acting like the stone, like, okay, I could take everything and I'm not gonna let my you know, emotions show and I have to start sharing those emotions and and letting people know that I feel that way too and I get you and therefore, if Wendy Sellers, the HR lady is opening up like this, maybe they will too. And they know it's okay to be vulnerable and to show our emotions. And see, um, it,
0: it doesn't mean that you're weak at that point. You are not submissive at that point. What it implies is that you are courageous in being yourself. And it opens up an aspect of you to all those around you that then see you in a different perspective. And, and, and it actually elevates... Uh, where you are in the conversation at that point in, in providing feedback to employees or networking with peers or whatever the situation may be. Yeah. There's going to be some people to take advantage of it, but maybe those aren't the circles you need to be in anyways. Right.
1: Right. Right. Maybe you need to quiet, quit some of those friendships. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we talked a lot today about uh, this whole week about, you know, the term quiet quitting, we don't agree with it. We think people should be able to empower themselves and say, no, this is, these are my uh, boundaries um, and executives that and, and managers and leaders that are listening, you know, you need to be a little bit more empathetic. You need to put boundaries on yourself. You need to help your manager or your employees set boundaries. But then as JC just mentioned, one of the things that I really want to focus on before we wrap up here is uh, just talking about prioritizing your health and the health of your employees um, in order to um, embrace this quiet quitting and then therefore, you know understand that, hey, these are my expectations of my, my employees. They're doing them, and they're going to stay with the organization longer. So some tips from this Deloitte survey are, uh, we already talked about you know, working 40 hours or fewer per week, whatever your agreement is with your organization. Uh, starting and stopping work at a reasonable time this has been hard yeah this was hard during the 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 height of the pandemic as well um because for many people a lot of things were going on including maybe homeschooling at the same time as working and so they had to start work at 4 a.m in order to get their kids to school or whatever it might be so starting and stopping work at a reasonable time is super important
0: one of my favorite ones is on here wendy use all of their vacation time every year i like that one i like that
1: one that uh, only in america do we not do that (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) um you know taking micro breaks during the day uh this uh, hr folks that are listening this is something that you can help with developing policies in your handbook and then explaining what they are, uh, especially for any type of job. So, not just administrative jobs um, that, that get a break. We tend to feel like, oh, you work in a factory, you work in a construction zone, you get two 15 minute uh, work breaks, and then you also get uh, a, you know an hour, half an hour lunch break. Well, if somebody's working from home or they're somebody that just, you know, motors through the day, maybe you need a mandate breaks that are paid breaks that are, you know, a seven minute break.
0: Or or a female date break, whatever you prefer.
1: Yeah, whatever it it might be. Uh, How about, you know, making sure that you're giving people information about exercise, about your health care benefits, your mental health care, getting enough sleep. Now, I, I have to caution everybody. Be careful when you start going into telling people how to eat, how to exercise, how to sleep, because you're not their doctor. Right. So we, we actually have a fine line in many organizations that we care about our employees so much that we get involved a little too much in their personal life. And that could be some violations of many things, you know, ADA, uh, FMLA, things like that. So there's a fine line and these are things that you need to train your managers on.
0: All amazing things to consider. Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, overall 63% of employees and 73% of the C-suite reported that they aren't able to take time off and disconnect. And when asked why, respondents to the survey did say that they have too much work to do. They want people to know that they're dedicated to the job and that no one would be able to cover for them while they're away. All of these things could be leading towards quiet quitting.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's up to us to change that.
1: It really is. So please, if you do nothing after listening to our session this week is make sure that you understand that quiet quitting is a weird name that's out there and it's getting the wrong Uh, sending the wrong message. It really should be sending the message that, yes, our employees should have boundaries. I, as their manager, is going to help them make that happen so that me and my company actually has a positive impact on my employees' physical, mental, and social well-being. Tune in soon for our next podcast. In the meantime, stay safe.